All right, church, we'll go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and our preschoolers are dismissed to their class. And as you're turning there to Romans 12, let me share with you uh, about a study I was reading about a few years ago. There was a, a math test that was given to students from 10 different countries. And there were two parts to the test. The first part of the test was simply uh, mathematics, you know, testing uh, the students on their skills in mathematics. So they got different types of math problems, and they received a score on this first part, grading their competency in math. The second part of the test evaluated how they thought they did on the first part. Those administering the test, they wanted to know how high or low the student's self-esteem and confidence was in respect to their performance on the first part of the test and to see if there was any correlation there. And the results they got, they they are a little interesting. In this study, what they found was that the students in South Korea scored the highest in mathematical competency but the lowest in how they thought they did on the test. You see, humility and modesty are taught as virtues in in South Korea. Students in America, on the other hand, you can probably guess, lowest in math, but highest in how they thought they did. Two plus two is five. Nailed it, right? Just confident, self-esteem through the roof. They knew they just crushed that first part of the test. (laughs) Now, I share that with you because we were just exhorted in the first two verses of Romans 12 to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And in the next few verses of Romans 12, we're going to start learning about spiritual gifts and how we are to use them to work together as the body of Christ. But right in between those verses, here the Apostle Paul encourages us to not think of ourselves more highly than we should, but to think about ourselves with sober judgment. Why? Why is this so important? Well, a lot of damage can be done in our lives and in our churches and in our workplaces and in our relationships and in our world when we have a pridefully inflated view of ourselves. I mean, if you think that you are the best in the world in mathematics, all the while you are really the worst, you probably won't ever really learn math. You're going to miss out on some math. You're going to miss out on some wisdom. And you see, we miss out on a lot when in our pride we have an inflated view of ourselves as well as so much is destroyed and damaged when we have an inflated view of ourselves. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. When pride rears its ugly head, Destruction is soon to follow in our thought life, in our marriages, in our relationships, and in our church. Do you believe that? Have you experienced this in your own life? Now listen, this morning, it will be a bit painful for all of us 
myself included, because in regards to pride, it's, it's not really a question of if there is pride in our hearts. The question is, where is there pride in our hearts? Because of the presence of sin in our lives and in our world, we all have aspects of our heart where pride still exists and where we need to be humbled and transformed. And we must see this as of the utmost importance with a sense of urgency because so much is destroyed and damaged when we have an inflated view of ourselves. As C.S. Lewis once wrote, he said, pride is like a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And so this morning, church, we need to ask the Lord to help us think rightly about ourselves in relation to him and in relation to one another. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into the word. Father, we ask that you would give light to your word this morning. May I speak, and may we hear and understand your word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will and cherish it and live by it to your praise and for your honor. Father, please show us the pride that needs to be confessed and turned from. And please empower us by your spirit to humble ourselves under your mighty hand this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul says, for by the grace given to me. Now, what he's speaking of here is the grace he had received as an apostle of God as an appointed and authoritative messenger of God, he now says to everyone in the church, pastors, elders, deacons, members, he says this to everyone in the church. Now he's about to give different instructions to different people in the church, depending on what their spiritual gifts they've received have been and how they are to use them. But this instruction here is for everyone, for everyone. He says to everyone in the church, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Most literally, this is him saying, do not super think about yourself, but instead soberly think about yourself. Do not super think about yourself, but instead soberly think about yourself. Back when I worked in the ER... I had plenty of experience being around patients who were not soberly thinking about things. The 4th of July was always the most interesting because you had uh, this, this combination of people over drinking and lighting explosives on fire. And those things really aren't the best combination for a long life with all extremities and fingers and everything like that, right? And so you sit down with someone trying to understand the story, trying to understand how this happened, and 
you're just you're sitting with them and you're you're saying things like so so let me get this straight you really thought you could light all these things on fire in your hand and then get away from it in time before any damage was done like you you really had that high of a view of your your quick responses and agility and, and dexterity you really thought you could do it in the state that you are currently in you obviously were not soberly thinking about your abilities here. And the ER prepared me for ministry more than I thought because you have some of those same conversations in ministry. Well, you're saying, so let me get this straight. You, you really thought you could play with this pet sin and not get burned. You really thought you could harbor a grudge and anger and not grieve the Holy Spirit and miss out on enjoying his presence. You really thought you could gossip and slander and not destroy relationships in the church. You really thought you could combat evil and sin with more evil and sin and things turn out well for you. And maybe you've, you've been around someone who has been become intoxicated with liquid courage and you've seen them not be able to soberly think about things in themselves and what they are doing. And listen, church, that's what pride does in us. It causes us to super think about ourselves and not soberly think about ourselves. And we live in a culture that is intoxicated with themselves. And the church has not been immune to this. This is what we will be conformed to if we are not being transformed by God through the renewal of our minds like we talked about last week. What are we thinking about, church? What are we setting our mind on, church? And now this week, what are we thinking about ourselves, church? Are we super thinking Or are we soberly thinking? Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, here's where commentators disagree on what this phrase, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, means. Some say this phrase is getting at the idea that God has assigned to each of us a different amount of faith. And I do believe that that is taught in other places of Scripture. Faith is something that can be stronger or weaker in different individuals at different times. We find in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, we see that there is a spiritual gift of faith that some have been given. And so while I do believe that is true, I don't believe that's what Paul is teaching in this verse. Rather, this word measure that he uses here in Romans 12, verse 3, this word measure is most likely getting at the idea of a standard, a standard of measurement. God has given every believer a standard that they are to measure themselves up against, and that standard is Christ. That standard is Christ. And so what this means for us is that looking to Christ sobers us up 
in how we think about ourselves. Looking to Christ sobers us up in how we think about ourselves because we in our pride, we are like the small child who thinks that they can ride the biggest roller coaster in the park only to have the measurement standard reveal that we fall way short. C.J. Mahaney in his book, Humility, he defines humility this way. He writes, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Pride, on the other hand, is what we see here in Romans 12, verse 3. Pride is thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You see, by looking to Christ, we see the perfect example of holiness and love and righteousness and patience and gentleness and forgiveness. And when we measure ourselves up to him, we are sobered up very quickly. We also then, by looking to Christ and his cross, we are even more humbled when we look at the cross. For he went to the cross because of us. It was our sin that he took up onto that tree. It was our suffering that he endured. It was the death we deserve to die that he died. Oh, does not Christ and his cross shrink us down to proper size and sober us up in how we see ourselves? There's no boasting and there's no thinking too highly of ourselves when we stand at the foot of the cross. Therefore, we must daily and moment by moment look to Christ and remember his cross that we might have sober thoughts about ourselves. But like all sin, pride is deceptive, and maybe one of the most deceptive ones. And it is much easier to see in others than it is to see in yourself. In fact, some of you might already be thinking, oh, I wish so-and-so could hear this message. (laughs) This would be really good for so-and-so. But no, church, this is for us. This is for you. This is for me. It's not so much a matter of if pride is present in our lives, it is where pride is present in our lives. And towards that end, I would like to help you identify the areas that pride is present and the ways that we are super thinking about ourselves instead of soberly thinking about ourselves. And to do that, I want to share with you some common symptoms that will show up in your life when pride is present. The first symptom that will show up when pride is present in your life is that you will be quick to find sin in others, but uninterested in seeking out sin in your own life. Some people call this the fault finder. You will be quick to find sin in others, but uninterested in seeking out sin in your own life. Now, this is not to say that there's not a time and a place to lovingly and gently call one another out, to correct one another, to exhort one another. There certainly is. But when pride is present and in force, 
This looks like a person who is quick to jump on any hint of sin or weakness in others. They're quick to pounce on it and show no grace. All the while, they themselves are not asking God to reveal what sin is in their own hearts. This is part of the reason why we've started to give time to confess sin in our corporate gatherings. We're we're concerned that this is not happening in our personal time with the Lord. There should be frequent times throughout your week as you are reading the scripture and in prayer where you should be asking the Spirit to search your heart and reveal any sin that needs to be confessed and turned from. Do we ever stop and ask the Lord to search our heart, to seek out sin that's in our own life? But when pride is present, people aren't interested in searching out their own heart. No, they actually try to feel better about themselves by being more concerned with the sin they see in others. And let me tell you something that God showed me this week. The sin you see in others that gets you the most frustrated and the most angry is probably the sin you struggle with the most as well. For those of you that have kids, don't you do this with your kids? What frustrates you the most about your kids is typically when you see the worst parts of you playing out in them. You get so angry with your kids when they start acting like you. You get so angry about certain things and not others because certain things they do are like them holding up a mirror and you getting a glimpse of yourself. But oh, what could happen if by looking to Christ and his cross, we all did not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but instead with sober judgment. What grace could we experience as we humble ourselves before the Lord and one another? What if by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we started removing the logs in our own eyes? And what if people, by watching us remove the logs in our own eyes, were inspired to start removing the specks in their own? This is typically what Sunday morning sermons turn into. Hey guys, look at this log God's been helping me take out of my eye. I hope this is of some benefit to you. The Lord's been blessing me through it, and it's really painful, and I still can't believe how many logs can be in one eye, but, but watch as God takes this out of mine, and may he do some work and benefit you as well. Second symptom that will show up when pride is present in your life is you will find yourself frequently grumbling and complaining. I just finished reading through the book of Numbers, and I was struck with just how much grumbling was going on in the midst of people who had just been rescued from slavery. And yet, as I look at my own life, I can think of plenty of times this past week I've been grumbling and complaining, even though Christ has freed me from my slavery to sin. So let me ask you, church, what do you find yourself complaining and grumbling about the most? I'm trying to to help. I'm trying not to cause too much pain, but I'm trying to help you diagnose where pride might be present in your life. 
what do you find yourself complaining and grumbling about the most? I mean, this is, so, this is so prevalent inside and outside the church that this is typically our go-to for small talk with one another. We grumble about the weather, about politics, about illnesses, about the cults. We grumble. It's kind of the, it's the go-to. It's something we can all relate with to one another. And yet God's word says in Philippians, Philippians 2, verse 14, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen, church, the humble don't grumble. And I wasn't trying to force a rhyme there, but it happened, and I left it because I think you'll remember it. All right? Humble don't grumble. And it's never been easier to shine as lights in the world. Simply go about your work and your life without grumbling and complaining, and you will stand out as a light in the world. People will be drawn to you. And not only will you stand out, but oh, what grace you'll enjoy when you humble yourself by stopping the grumbling and instead you watch the Lord transform you and fill you with gratitude for everything he gives you and brings your way, both the good and the bad. Third symptom that will show up when pride is present in your life are the twin sins that typically stick together, and those are self-pity and self-righteousness. These are the twins no one wants to hang out with, the self-pity and the self-righteousness, and yet self-pity and self-righteousness will need to be confronted at some point in the life of every church kid. We've got a lot of church kids in here, both past and present and future. If you did not get saved out of a gang this week... These are two things you will struggle with at some point in your life. I made an exception because for those dramatic conversion experiences, I think you might not struggle with self-righteousness for a little while, but at some point in your walk with Christ, you probably will. And the greater your pride, the more ingrained these are going to be in your life. I describe self-pity as feeling sorry for yourself and sulking before the Lord. That's what self-pity looks like. Feeling sorry for yourself and sulking before the Lord. I was coaching uh, Jackson's basketball team yesterday along with Will and Maddox and uh, there became a point in the game where we started to lose by, by a decent amount And the kids on the team, you could just see, they just started sulking, right? Just started feeling sorry for themselves, started just being a little down, sulking before the Lord. Not really, I guess sort of before the Lord, right? That's probably not what they were thinking. For, For use of the illustration, go with me, okay? And I'm, and I'm trying to like rally them around, like, guys, we're playing basketball, 
Like this is, you're, you're 10 years old, we're playing basketball, you get a snack after this? Like life is good, you guys are walking around, you look like people who are watching soccer, right? Like this is, we're playing basketball, a real sport, a good sport, this is fun, right? I mean, if you lived in a different time or in a different country, like you might be working in a sweatshop or out in the fields. I didn't share this with them, but that's, that could maybe be a good pep talk, all right? Write that down. Like, we're playing basketball with our friends, and there's a snack, and our families are cheering us. Like, this is fun. This is great. But no, this is how us as Christians can sometimes be. Just We start sulking before the Lord, feeling sorry for ourselves. And this typically happens with church kids and quote-unquote good people because in our pride, this is what happens, our desires become demands. This is what pride does in our life. You need to understand this. Nothing wrong with having desires. Nothing wrong with having hopes and dreams for your life and what you want the Lord to do for you and all that. But what pride does is it takes your desires and many times it changes those desires into demands. And because we went to Sunday school and stayed out of trouble, we now demand certain things from God. The prayers of church kids pridefully become like James and John's request to Jesus when they said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Not, not Lord, we will do whatever you ask of us. But no, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. You ever prayed a prayer like that? God, you better meet my expectations. And if you don't, then I'm going to sulk and feel sorry for myself from here on out. I gave my life to you, and you have not given me the life I'm demanding from you. Therefore, I'm going to throw a self-righteous pity party. And church, this is the party scene that church kids need to be saved from. I used to be jealous that, that, uh, of people that had a more exciting, dramatic testimony than I did, who could share about God changing their life, saving them out of the party scene. But hey, church kids, we know how to throw parties too. They're just not as fun. And they're called pity parties. <laughs> We're the best at throwing them. I try to throw one on occasion. Britt won't come with me. The Lord's blessed me with an amazing wife. Praise the Lord, she won't come. Church, self-pity. It's a convenient and religious way to avoid taking responsibility for your pride, your sin, your self-righteousness, and your folly. It's easier to feel sorry for yourself than actually let the Lord deal with the issues. And so you end up not wanting problems in your life to be solved because if they got solved, then you would have to face your pride and your sin and your folly. And that seems more uncomfortable to you. And so no, it feels easier to sulk. Self-pity is ultimately coming. It's coming from a foolish, prideful heart that is angry with God. 
And if you grew up in church like I did, you're going to struggle with this. You're going to have desires. And if you don't continually humble yourself before the Lord, those desires are going to change into demands. And you're going to start then demanding things from God. And when he, when he, in his gracious will, doesn't give you what you demand from him, you're going to fall into this. Be warned, every church kid in here, do not fall into the pity party scene. It is dark and it is destructive, and yet it looks okay on the surface. But there is hope for us. There is hope for us, church kids, when we look to Christ. And he has graced us with the power to humble ourselves in Christ alone. What if our desires stayed just that? They just stayed desires and they didn't turn into demands. What if we humbled ourselves before the Lord and our hearts trusted him more and instead of sulking before the Lord, we rejoiced before him? What if we just decided, no, we're going we're to rejoice before him. We're not going to sulk in this. What if in the midst of self-pity, we set our minds on believing and singing like David did in Psalm 28, where he said, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. That's where, that's where I'm going when I feel the pull to fall back into the pity party scene. I set my mind on that and I, I choose to rejoice before the Lord and not sulk before the Lord. Whatever my God ordains for me is right. Here are my desires, Lord. I will rejoice and give thanks in whatever you give, for I know you are working all things together for my good. Church, here's the thing. How can anyone, how can anyone truly look to Christ and his cross and feel sorry for themselves? You can't do it, which means we're taking our eyes off of Christ and his cross. In Christ alone, we can be freed from self-pity and self-righteousness. I'll go through some of these other symptoms of pride a bit quicker. Pride is present in your life when you're experiencing anxiety. But when you humble yourself before the Lord, you experience peace. Oh, what grace he gives the humble in Christ. Pride is present in your life when you are holding on to grudges and unwilling to forgive. But when you humble yourself before the Lord, you are empowered to let go and forgive as you've been forgiven. Pride is present in your life when you are harsh with others. But when you humble yourself before the Lord, you become gentle. Oh, what grace he gives the humble in Christ. Pride is present in your life when you neglect to pray. But when you humble yourself before the Lord, you see prayer as a lifeline necessity. Pride is present in your life when you are defensive. But when you humble yourself before the Lord, you learn to be teachable. Pride causes you to miss out on wisdom that you otherwise might receive.
Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Pride causes you to miss out on the wisdom you might otherwise receive. Oh, what grace he gives the humble in Christ. Are you starting to see some of the areas that pride might be present in your life? Ask the Spirit, even now, to to show you. It's easy to see it in others. It's very difficult to see it in ourselves. But as we continue to look to Christ and his cross, this should be sobering us up to think rightly about ourselves. And as we humble ourselves, we experience and enjoy more and more of the grace that God gives. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Oh, but church, how do we humble ourselves? Here God's word encourages us to humble ourselves. How do we humble ourselves? Well, very rarely is it something that we initiate. David Mathis, I believe, has a book called Humbled, and on the cover, the title is Humbled, Welcoming the Uncomfortable Work of God. It's a very accurate title and how this works. It's, it's us welcoming the uncomfortable work of God. You see, being humbled, it's, it's, it's very rarely something that we initiate, but instead, many times, we have the opportunity to humble ourselves through how we respond and welcome what God sends our way. Hardships, persecutions, sicknesses, disappointments, relational conflicts. How will you respond when these things happen? How will you welcome these things into your life? Will you double down on your pride and become even more prideful? Or will you look to Christ and his cross and humble yourself? Will you grow in prideful fear and anxiety, wanting to control every situation? Or will you humble yourself by casting all your anxieties on him? When you spot sin in someone else's life, will you be quick to pursue it? Or will you humble yourself by seeking it out in your own life first? When you have the opportunity to grumble, Will you pridefully join in or will you humble yourself by practicing gratitude instead? When God doesn't give you your desires, will you sulk before him or will you humble yourself by choosing to trust and rejoice that his plans for us are better than our own? Not more comfortable not easier, I didn't say that, 
better. God at times allows trials and suffering to come our way to sober us up, to humble us if we would only receive and welcome it. But God is also gracious to allow the small daily routines of life to humble us as well if we will be receptive to it. It doesn't always have to be some big, massive hardship that comes our way. There's so many little things throughout our normal days that can serve to humble us if we are ready to welcome in the uncomfortable work of God in our lives. When we sit down to eat our meals, these are opportunities to grow in humility as we look to God and acknowledge that we are not self-sufficient creatures and we need something outside of us to sustain us. Going to sleep each night is an opportunity to humble yourself before God as we trust that He won't sleep and He will continue to sovereignly rule His universe without our input or counsel. And it'll be okay. What a humbling thing it is to rest yourselves in the arms of the Father and sleep. Oh, what grace he gives the humble in Christ. There are plenty of small opportunities that God gives us every day to humble ourselves and look to Christ. But do we see our need for it? Do we see our need of humility? Do we see how important it is? Do we see all the graces that God pours out on the humble? Do we really believe just how destructive pride can be? But church, looking to Christ and his cross, it not only serves to humble us and sober us up, but looking to Christ and his cross helps us see that we are now a part of his body, the church. And this gives our lives great significance and purpose and direction. Being humbled by the Lord and humbling ourselves before the Lord is not the same as thinking of ourselves as worthless or not having value or purpose. No, not at all. Yes, it involves honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness, but Paul goes on here in Romans 12 to help us now start to see just how significant our lives are as image bearers of God who have been redeemed and united together with the body of Christ. Look with me now back at Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. He says, For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now, I purposely did not leave much time for these last two verses because we're coming back to them next week. So no one needs to get nervous about how long the sermon's going to go on for. But I wanted us to just, just touch on these two verses very briefly because I think part of us Part of our thinking about ourselves with sober judgment also now includes understanding that you are a significant part of the body of Christ. And every person, every member of the body of Christ is important, and this should give your life great purpose, dignity, and direction. For when you look to Christ and his cross, not only are you reminded of what you have been saved from, but you also now see what you have been saved into. 
Do you realize that if you are trusting Christ for your life and salvation, that you have been united to Christ and to his people? And you've been given gifts, each of you, gifted differently for a specific purpose and a specific part to play in God's plans here. Until Christ returns, we are a part of his tangible presence on earth. We are his hands and his feet. What part has God called you to play? These are things we'll continue to talk about next week. We all need one another to serve and use our gifts for the glory of God, the good of his people, and to be a blessing to his world. But we must use these gifts as he's given as ones who are persistent in humbling ourselves before the Lord, humbling ourselves under his mighty hand. Because listen, when pride starts creeping in now with spiritual gifts, things get messy. Jealousies start happening. And, they, and like all sin, it just makes a mess of these gifts that God has given his church. And so we will venture into next week looking at the gifts that God has given And yet we must do it in a way where we are humbling ourselves before the Lord. Thinking about Christ and his cross. Thinking about one another more than we are thinking about ourselves. I'll close with this. C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity, he's got a chapter called The Great Sin. And I'd encourage you, most of you have a copy of Mere Christianity. Go read this chapter today. He writes, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. Never used that word before. Who is always telling you uh, that, of course, he is a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, It will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. A guy like what Lewis just describes there would probably be pretty pleasant to be around, wouldn't he? Because humility is something attractive, isn't it? There's something about pride that that repels people. And there is something about humility that draws them in. We are drawn to to humble people. These people make the best friends. They are pleasant and safe to be around. And as I think about just the good, humble friends that the Lord has given me and some of us, what overshadows all of them is, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. The ultimate example of this attractive humility that has drawn us in. For we have a great Savior church who left his throne in heaven to humble himself, to put on flesh, to live and walk amongst us, who submitted himself to the will of the Father and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it it is that death on a cross where he took the sin of our pride and paid the penalty we in our pride deserved that he has now, and he has now been resurrected and highly exalted so that you and I can now be free 
to bow our knee, humble ourselves before him, and confess that he is Lord and we are not. Church, Christ has freed us from our pride. He's set for us a perfect example of humility to follow, and he has sent his Holy Spirit to empower us so that when he sends things our way, we could respond in faith and humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Church, a lot is destroyed and damaged when we have an inflated view of ourselves. May we not super think about ourselves, but instead soberly think about ourselves. May we look to Christ and his cross, and may this give us the humility to have sober judgment and the significance to see ourselves as now important parts of the body of Christ here on earth. When God sends something our way, when he answers your prayers differently than how you wanted him to, how will you respond? Will you welcome the uncomfortable work of God in your life? Will you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you? Oh, what grace the humble enjoy, and they enjoy it in Christ alone. Oh, what wisdom and contentment and joy and peace he brings when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray.